Good morning. Thank the music team for leading us in worship, bringing us before the throne of grace. And now it's time to turn to the word of God and let him teach us. So let's, let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time of the service. Thank you that we were able to join our voices in praise and now ask you to open our eyes and our hearts for the truth that's in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had someone in your life who you often left you wondering if what they told you was really true? You know, you may be going through a conversation and you may be thinking, eh, I'm not so certain I buy that. You know, and it could be different uh, types of conversation where you think that. Could be someone denying that they did anything wrong, trying to avoid punishment. <clears throat> Maybe someone changing some of the facts of a story in order to, uh, or maybe adding a few extra details in order to come out like the hero. <clears throat> you know, some politicians have earned very strong reputations for consistently lying. Almost any time they open their mouths, they're lying. But of course, it's not just politicians, is it? It goes beyond that. There was a lady, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> who told of an incident that she experienced on her way home as she stopped at the corner deli. She was on her way home from work and she wanted to get a chicken for supper. So she asked the butcher there at the corner deli, you know, to get her a chicken or show her what chicken that he had. And so he reached into this barrel and grabbed the last chicken in the barrel. Of course, she couldn't see that. <clears throat> but then he took it out, put it on the, on the scales behind the counter, and told her how much it cost. Well, she looked at that chicken, and she was thinking, you know, I really need a larger one than that. She goes, do you have any larger ones? Well, of course, that was his last one. But he took that chicken, he put his hand back into that barrel, moved it around, pulled out the same chicken, Plopped it on the scales. He said, that one weighs one pound more. Well, the woman thought for a moment, trying to, you know, see what her options were. She said, okay, I'll take them both. <laughs> now, another reason that people lie or exaggerate is to build up their own image, isn't it? maybe to impress people. They want you to see some, them as something more than what they really are or, or more than what they really think they are. And there was a Peanuts comic strip, you know, Charlie Brown and the gang. I'm, whenever I say things, now I gotta remember I'm that far removed and I don't know if all of our people here know all the things that I'm saying. But a Peanuts comic strip with Charlie Brown and Snoopy and everything, it was the first day of school in the new year, and the students were told to write an essay about their return to school. And so Lucy Van Pelt, you know, <clears throat> she, 
She wrote, Vacations are nice, but it's good to get back to school. There's nothing more satisfying or challenging than education. And I look forward to a year of expanding knowledge. Well, of course, the teacher was pretty happy with that response of hers. And then in the final frame of that cartoon, it shows Lucy leaning over to Charlie Brown saying, after a while, you learn what sells. <laughs> Are you ever tempted to use what sells? You know, you want to impress. You maybe, maybe you want to prove your point to someone. We might be tempted to slip into exaggeration or maybe just readjusting the facts a little bit to make them more favorable toward us. Well, you know, Jesus had something to say about this in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, so I'd like you to read along with me as we read chapter 5, verse 33. And he's saying to these people that are listening to him, this crowd of people and his disciples, he says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. <clears throat> so, doesn't seem to be any problem with that teaching, does there? You know, Jesus is saying, fulfill the vows you made to the Lord. Don't break your oaths. Nothing could really be simpler, could it? You'd make a promise, you want to keep that promise. You want to be faithful to the Lord and following through on what you promised to do. Nothing controversial about that. But, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things, and then he brings it to some conclusion that we would never have expected. He's always saying something that just kind of throws you for a loop. And he's been talking about these different life matters throughout the Sermon on the Mount so far, like anger can become murder in your heart, lusting can become adultery in the heart, divorce, he's talking about giving some strict guidelines on divorce, he's going to go into revenge. <clears throat> and, and at the same time, he's showing how the Jewish religious leaders who claim to be innocent of all those sins, that they get around it by manipulating the rules to their own advantage. And then when Jesus comes in, and he cuts right through the externals, right to the heart, and shows how they are actually sinning greatly in those areas because of what's in their heart. And what Jesus has done, <clears throat> he cuts through what you know, people often see to what people don't see. So he brings up this practice of making vows or taking oaths. And he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill the Lord, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Sounds pretty innocent, right? But look at the next three verses. It says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Probably before the days of coloring, right? <clears throat> but Jesus says, don't swear at all. Now, what is that about? Now, we know he's not talking about using bad cursing words, you know, because he's talking about swearing an oath, making a vow, vowing to do something, and you're showing that you're very serious to do it. But, you know, swearing an oath was also the way a person would try to convince someone else that what they were telling them was the truth. A way you get someone to believe what you are saying, they would swear an oath. Like, you know, someone's telling you <clears throat> something that's hard to believe in our day, and people would say, I swear to God. And then even in a court of law, you put your hand on the Bible, right? And then, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. So back in Jesus' day, someone would try to convince someone else that they were telling the truth, and they would do the same thing like putting a hand on the Bible. They would swear by heaven, or they would swear by the earth. I swear by the heavens above that this is the truth that I'm telling you. Or they would swear by the earth, or swear by Jerusalem, the holy city. And they were taking something that was really held up as very important, you know, something glorious, something high and lofty, and saying, <clears throat> you know, I swear by the heavens that I will do this, or that this is the truth that I'm telling you. But Jesus says, don't swear oaths at all. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because throughout the Bible, people in the Bible are swearing oaths in a good way. The Apostle Paul did it. God did it several times, and, and others well, we saw where Jesus actually gave his reasons why. He says, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, and here's the reason, for it is God's throne. Whoops, went the wrong way. Or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And even says, do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, like many other things, so many other things, in the religious leaders of that day had taken this practice of swearing oaths and turned it into a racket. And instead of using an oath to express truth, which what it was, what was the idea behind an oath, or to express good intentions, or to express that you know, what they were saying was honest, these religious leaders warped it into inventing, inventing creative ways to deceive or tell lies. It became a whole system of manipulation unto itself. They took it and just depraved it. Now, I want to show you out of Matthew chapter 23 an example of this. 23, 16 through verse 22. And this is just Jesus talking to 
uh, just the group of religious leaders. He says, woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. That means you're not held to, you don't have to be held to it, whatever you promised. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. <clears throat> you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. You're not bound. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and everything and, then, and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the, by the one who sits on it. <clears throat> so they had taken this oath-taking practice and turned it into an intricate system. And they would use it to give the appearance of having the greatest of intentions to carry through on a promise, but then if they got held accountable, you know, if, if someone... Uh, approached them on it, they could say, whoa, oh, that was the temple, not the gold of the temple. They, in, they really invented a way that they did not have to keep their promises. The exact opposite of what it was made for. They even had the Jewish writings called the Mishnahs. You can, you can go to those today. The Mishnahs, and part of the Mishnahs would explain the whole system of what was... Uh, Bound, what you were bound by, and what you weren't bound by. Those are Jewish writings from that time. <clears throat> and they followed that system, and so they just basically emptied out the command. And as they developed the carefully crafted system of oath swearing, one thing that they tried to avoid was uh, slipping into blaspheming God. They were real concerned about that. They didn't want to blaspheme God. They didn't want to mention his name, so they couldn't blaspheme it. But then on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus is telling him when they swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem, they are bringing God into their oath because heaven is God's throne, the earth is his footstool, and Jerusalem is his holy city where he is going to reign from. It's his kingdom city. It's his throne room. And he says, and don't even swear by your head because you can't control it. You know, he created us. We don't control when we live, die, grow gray hair, that sort of thing. So we can't even swear by that. So that is why Jesus is telling them to avoid swearing oaths at all. Because the religious leaders have turned it into a vehicle for evil and deception. And so verse 37, chapter 5 says, All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. <clears throat> so we see what Jesus had to deal with in his day. Pretty strong language here when he says that the things that they are doing comes from the evil one. Referring to the religious leaders who, who have cooked up this whole system of high-sounding language to make themselves look holy even while they are lying through their teeth. 
You know, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs that look clean on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Pretty graphic language. So, <clears throat> what is our takeaway from this passage? What does God want from us in this area of our lives? Isn't Jesus saying here, just be an honest person? Be a person whose words can always be trusted. Be careful with the way you talk so you don't lead somebody on into a, a wrong thought or uh, a false impression. Don't have hidden meanings behind your words. We really don't want people walking away from us thinking, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can trust what he's saying. See how this strikes you. <clears throat> There's a man named Robert Cunningham in New York, and he was eating at his favorite restaurant we had eaten for seven years. He was a policeman. And there was this waitress that had been working there for 19 years who worked at the restaurant. And they got to know each other on a uh, friendly basis because of his time at the restaurant. And after his meal one night, Robert made a good-natured offer to Phyllis. He said she could choose. He would either give her the tip from his meal or he had this lotto ticket. He said, or if I win the, the lottery, we'll split it. She goes, I'll go for the lottery. Well, you know, he, he let her help him choose the numbers on the lotto, lotto ticket. And that Saturday night, Robert won the lotto. The jackpot was $6 million. So now he faced the moment of truth. Would he actually give his waitress a $3 million tip? <clears throat> now, can you think of any nice way you could get out of that? This, this Robert Cunningham was a police sergeant, a husband, a father of four, a grandfather of three, and he was being interviewed by the newspaper, of course, since he won the lotto. And he was asked about this, and he said, I won't back out. He goes, besides, friendship means more than money. Talking about keeping your promises, huh? I would say that Robert Cunningham was a trustworthy, honest man. <laughs> Tested severely, right? But why is it that people lie or lack honesty? Why, why, do, why are we plagued with that? You know, sometimes it becomes habit to some people. They've just grown up in that kind of an atmosphere. They just learn that lying is the way you get by in life. I had neighborhood friends like that, and it was more surprising when they weren't lying than when they were. And you know, there's times we might fudge the truth a little bit in order to manipulate others, <clears throat> maybe present a little bit of a false picture in order to try to get somebody to help us or just, 
to try to move forward in some way, change the story a little bit. I tend to think that a lot of dishonesty might come from insecurity. I think insecurity drives so much of so many people's lives, most people's lives. It's when we're too worried about what others think of us. And it kind of traps us. We try hard to impress someone else so we hide who we truly are. We don't let them know, you know, important things. And we do that because, you know, we, uh, as church people, Christians, we're supposed to be living kind of like on a different level than the average person that doesn't know Christ. And so we don't want to be seen with our faults and our weaknesses exposed. So we may engage in a little phoniness here and there, hide a few things here and there, for others' sake, of course. We may use Christian talk that hides a certain amount of reality. And not that we're complete hypocrites, but maybe not always totally honest. Because we're just a little bit afraid of what people will think of us. They know we go to church. <clears throat> and you know, I, I grew up, I was insecure when I was growing up. I wasn't a Christian. But then in my early Christian life, I became involved in pretty heavy legalism. That's where your, your faith is mostly just keeping rules. And legalism is, is a trap because it always puts you in the limelight in your mind. It's just something you think yourself. It always puts you in the spotlight and worried about what everybody thinks of you. Because your, your faith is largely following certain rules. And then not only are you concerned about it, but then you start judging others to see if they're following those same rules. And we were involved in a group, Laura and I were involved in a group early in our marriage. I mean, it wasn't all just hard labor, but there was that, that part of our Christianity was making sure you didn't do the wrong thing, which now some of those things, they really weren't wrong. But it was just we were trying to keep the standards of the group. It was for that public image. In that day, back in the late 70s and the early 80s, at least in our group, Christians didn't go to theaters. <clears throat> and so we would talk about that, and if somebody went to a theater, you'd just kind of go, oh, that poor Christian person. And then there'd be discussions about, should we go to a theater? <clears throat> And someone would say, well, that's worldly going to a theater. And somebody else would say, well, you can go to a good movie at a theater. And the person would come back with, yeah, but you see, you're standing in line out, outside of the theater. You've got all these marquees, these, these posters of what movies. And somebody sees you there, and they don't know which movie you're going to. That's a pretty heavy cloud to live under, you know. Uh, there was this one popular radio preacher, <clears throat> large church pastor. He told how he and his family, his wife and children and him, were standing in line in a theater. 
and someone walks up to him, and he just happened to know them, and they said, what are you doing here? Like a pastor at a theater? And so he said he never went to a theater again after that. But it's an image thing, isn't it? It's, a, it's, a, it's an insecurity thing. <clears throat> so out of insecurity, we're not completely honest, are we? Or it could be we fall into that not being completely honest by not attending certain activities. Because, you know, when you hear of other people attending those activities, <clears throat> you act like you're sorry for them and you want to help them. On the other hand, you kind of feel proud because it's the thing. You get to look down at them. So it breeds pride also if you're into that. And then also we're not being honest or real. We're just trying to fit an image out of insecurity and legalism. But thankfully, <clears throat> as I kept reading my Bible, I started noticing how Jesus was truly honest, truly devoted to God, and wasn't worried about keeping all the religious requirements from the religious leaders even though they came down hard on him, even though they made, uh, they spread rumors about him, awful rumors about him, yet he held to the standards that he knew were right. And he was truly holy, and he was truly honest. <clears throat> he was truly secure in his faith. He was truly dedicated to God. And that heart, given over to God, is what led him. <clears throat> so, as I got more into the scriptures, and I started meeting people outside of that circle, Christians outside of that circle, some were doing things that, whoa, I didn't know Christians could do those things. And <clears throat> it really came down to, am I really loving God? Am I really devoted to Christ? And then you can go and live in complete honesty. So, you know, we don't have to overburden ourselves by trying to keep up a false image. And I said that I was very insecure in my grade school days when I went to school because I went to a school where kids were, I thought they were wealthy off the map. <laughs> I learned later it wasn't that way. And I thought we were in poverty. <clears throat> but it wasn't that way either with us. But trying to keep up that false image, it's really a form of dishonesty, isn't it? And what we want to do is to live honestly out of an authentic love for Christ, the one who gave himself for us so that we could live for, with him forever as he comes and sets up his kingdom, his worldwide kingdom, and we're able to see him sitting on his throne, and we will have redeemed bodies, and the, the earth and the, and the universe will be totally renewed, and we get to live with him forever. And so now, we don't have to worry what other people think. We do have to be concerned that we are following Christ. And then we can be honest people, and we can show others the honest way to Christ. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for just your word, and we thank you for even the stories of, of Jesus and how he acted and how he led an honest life, being very secure in your love. And Lord, we pray that we could uh, follow that model and increase our love for you and not worry about others, but be there just to help them and just follow you and, and be concerned about being true to you and being an honest person. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.